Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church right here in the heart of central Pennsylvania, Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm so happy to be with you again. It's been, I know it's been a long while, I've been working on some projects, working on uh, Easter preparation, it seems like. There was just a lot of events and things going on uh, around here at the church uh, that were really occupying my time and and attention, so I wasn't able to get uh, an episode out to you in the last several weeks. Uh, but I'm happy to be uh, be with you again, thinking through some things. We're going to be talking about several articles, uh, just several thoughts that I just want to really highlight and emphasize, uh, especially in light of what we just um, rejoiced and worshipped over and celebrated, which was Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Uh, and I'm so it was such a thrilling weekend. Uh, just a few quick things uh, before we jump into the meat of what I want to talk about this morning, or whenever you're listening to this. Maybe you're listening to this in the afternoon or the evening. So whenever you're listening to this, um, uh, first of all, you'll probably notice a lot of uh, a lot of perhaps different uh, sort of colors, <laughs> uh, different brandings going on. Uh, so recently, uh, as you perhaps were were made aware, um, I recently am uh, switched over all of my blogging efforts to Substack.com. So my current blogging home is pastorbrad.substack.com. Uh, that's where you'll find all of my uh, articles and, and, and uh, little newsletters and podcasts like this and sermons. I'm uh, hoping to do a lot more just casual writing, uh, which is what I love to do. And so uh, if you're already following me over there, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your support. If you're not and you're just listening, uh, feel free to keep listening. But if you want, go over to pastorbrad.substack.com. Listen, you'll see a new logo. So thank you to uh, my good friend Barry Rodden uh, for uh, working on that, uh, and he helped me get that logo uh, designed, and I'm really happy to sort of enter into a new chapter of just blogging and writing and, and, and ministering in this in this sort of way. Uh, so you'll notice the new uh, logo for the blog and the podcast. So thank you, Barry, for that. Uh, go uh, give him give him some love, uh, and I really appreciate his efforts uh, efforts there. I'm really liking this new sort of format uh, in terms of the blog. It, it keeps me a little bit more casual and less sort of serious sometimes. I, I'm able to just kind of write out my thoughts 
Um, and that's what I want to do is, is kind of like thinking out loud, uh, thinking uh, theologically, thinking ministerially um, out loud and not just kind of, you know, I, I don't want to be a highbrow writer. Uh, I think sometimes my academic writing is that way. And I think that's necessary for those certain settings. Um, you know, I'm writing, you know, perhaps a, a seminary essay or whatnot. And that's all fine and dandy. Um, but I don't know if those have a lot of uh, reach um, in terms of uh, how well they uh, they they read uh, in sort of like a devotional sort of way. So, anyways, I'm hoping to really just uh, uh, make this make this blogging home more of just a resource for anyone who comes upon it. So, hopefully, that's the case. But also, I want to celebrate today because um, what a what, what better way to celebrate the resurrection than with um, my 100th podcast episode? So, <laughs> this is really uh, this really ties in really well with with um, with everything in terms of just uh, the 100th episode, we get to talk about Jesus's resurrection. So I can't believe it's been 100 episodes of the Ministry Minded podcast. I've done a lot over the years. It's, it's this podcast has morphed. Um, I first recorded an, a podcast with a good friend, R.J. Grunwald, who I had met at a um, at a ministry conference, and I'm still good friends with. He does some stuff with the 1517 guys and Christ Hold Fast guys. Um, he's a, a Lutheran pastor in Michigan, I believe, still. And uh, coming from that episode one with with RJ till now episode 100, and uh, yeah, the podcast has has gone through some different chapters. But I'm so I'm so happy to be uh, where I am, and I'm so happy to. Hopefully, you're finding this podcast a resource, uh, an encouragement, and uh, hopefully we can get to another hundred uh, over the next year or so. So anyways, um, just want to mention that in case you didn't really realize that it was episode number 100. <laughs> um, do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or pour over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. So, man, wow, uh, Easter weekend, it was a pretty wild ride. <laughs> I just kind of want to talk through the weekend, but also highlight some stuff at the same time that I feel like goes along with, with each sort of um, event. So, um, Easter weekend is sort of the other sort of high church 
um, holiday, so to speak, and where all ministers and pastors and clergy alike get really excited because there's lots of there's lots of hustle and bustle, and there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of religiosity, so to speak, and so sometimes that can get in the way. Uh, I think of what these holidays are all about, and uh, but uh, I was really glad that we were able to plan um, a weekend um, in which we were really focused. I, I think we were really focused on what Easter is all about, from Good Friday to Holy Saturday to Easter Sunday, just really pinpointing that all of this is about Christ, all of this is about the Messiah, Jesus. And um, there is no better way to start that off, kick that off, so to speak, with than with a traditional uh, Passover Seder. So I, I, I've never been to one of these. I had never been to one of these before um, with sort of like a rabbi taking us through all of the elements of a traditional Passover meal. And he was demonstrating and really articulating how each of these shows us Jesus. So our particular leader in this, in this sort of event was one of our missionaries, Mitch Treisman, uh, who is a uh, a, a pastor and a preacher who preaches Jesus Christ, uh, and he ministers for uh, a ministry called Israel, uh, primarily through a magazine ministry called Israel My Glory. And uh, I was really happy to have him here uh, because, in such a moving way, he showed how every single little element of the Passover meal points to Jesus. It pointed to uh, either the coming Christ or it pointed to the fulfillment of what Christ did um, in the Easter weekend, so to speak, you could say. Uh, and I was so encouraged by that. I was so enriched just just seeing how how each of these elements showed us Jesus. Um, I've talked before just about how, you know, Baptists, we don't have much in the way of liturgy. We have a lot of traditions. We don't have a lot of liturgy. Uh, you know, you can go to an Episcopal church for that. <laughs> um, but in this sort of, it was very liturgical in that way. There were so many different steps. There were so many different uh, symbolism in the items and the way that you were supposed to uh, recite these prayers before each one and what they meant. And And I was so moved by seeing how each of these symbols showed us Jesus. It showed us the Christ, the, the Savior. And, and as Mitch was uh, there telling us, you know, each each thing on the table is, is meant to either give us a backward look or a forward look. Um, and, and, and for the Jews especially, it was a backward look towards the Exodus uh, and, and reminding them of, of God's deliverance of them out of Egyptian bondage. And, and the forward look, of course, would be towards the Messiah, God's, which would be God's ultimate deliverance for uh, all of his people out of bondage to sin. And so in this backward and forward look there's the, that's where the tension is is sort of found through throughout this meal and um the great rejoicing hope for us now is the fact that we can know for certain that that deliverance out of bondage to sin is fulfilled it has been completed it has been f it, it is finished uh, in Jesus Christ 
Uh, we're not furiously searching for another Messiah. We're not. It, we're not constantly uh, waiting for someone else to to fill that role. It's been filled already in Jesus Christ. And wow, what what an amazing thing to to rejoice and to hope and then to see these elements before us, and to know what they mean, and then to also know that that this has been done. <laughs> Uh, this is sort of the the other sort of, um, uh, I guess sad, sad is really a basic word, but the sad reality of these of a, of a Passover meal like this is just in knowing how there are certain uh, sort of factions of Jews who participate in this meal, and here they're still looking for a savior. Uh, they're still looking for the Messiah. They're still hoping that one day their deliverance will come. The good news, the gospel, this is what the gospel fills. It fills that void of looking for Messiah with saying, here he is, he's here in all of his glory. <laughs> you know, as I was thinking too um, about this this backwards look towards the towards the Exodus and, and how it also, that also shows us um, our our hope of deliverance and salvation, uh, and how it would, be, it would be ultimately finished in Jesus. And there's a good article that was recently published over on Mockingbird by Cameron Hughes entitled, Not Escape But Resurrection, in which he kind of talks about this. Um, he talks about uh, the Exodus event and, and how it relates to the Christian story, especially Christians today, who are, perhaps many are, 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 are Gentiles. They're not uh, they're not Jews. And so what does this story, how does it show us salvation? Perhaps you've thought about this before, but I, I like how he articula articulates this connection point, and especially as it relates to the Passover. Um, he, he writes this, this is Cameron writing, he writes, quote, what does this bizarre story have to do with Christians today? For one thing, it shows us that God has been in the business of saving for a long time. While the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God doing a new thing in salvation history, it is by no means the beginning of the story of salvation. The Easter Vigil proves that. All nine readings are from the Old Testament. God has always been working salvation. The movement of the Israelites through the waters of the Red Sea was not merely a flashy escape plan. It was a movement out of bondage into freedom. This is not an escape, but a victory. The Israelites didn't outwit the Egyptians. They certainly didn't outmuscle them. They were in no way an active participant in their own rescue. God defeated the Egyptians for them. God brought the Israelites out of their bondage. God completed the victory while they stood speechless. And what has happened on the cross is not merely our escape from God's wrath, he continues, but God's victory over sin and death. Christ has trampled down death by his own death and brought us through the waters of baptism to the other side where we stand speechless, end quote. I love, I love how Cameron is taking this thought, this, this moment of, of, of the Israelites' exodus, specifically the moment at the Red Sea, where, where God reminds them he, that he will fight for them. They only need to be still, as it says in Exodus 14, and, and showing us how this is an historical event which also points to a, a more beautiful, more richer, more full event which would come about in Jesus Christ. And so, reading this article and, and participating in that, in that Passover Seder, I was so moved by seeing how all of these points are connected, and the link to connect, in connecting them all is Jesus alone. 
He's he's the tie. He's the link. He's he's the thing that keeps all of this connected. He's the one that this all points to. All the Old Testament stories are giving us whispers and shadows, and they're they're giving us hints at this at this Jesus who would come and fulfill all of these things that God has promised. And I love that image too, uh, just how uh, the Israelites were speechless as the waters of the Red Sea were totally uh, engulfing their enemies, that we too are speechless in that resurrection moment. We are in stunned silence, so to speak, with that brilliant glory of Jesus' resurrected body. And that's, I think, Another thing that I was just so moved by throughout this weekend from Good Friday to Easter Sunday is just that the the glory of the resurrection is found in Jesus' body. So on Sunday morning, we had a sunrise service, which was uh, something I never participated in, you know, getting up really early and having some scripture reading and hymns, uh, you know, before the crack of dawn, as some people like to say. But I was so, uh, I was moved by just the opportunity to do that, and uh, I ended up reading Luke 24, the entire chapter, which is Luke's sort of uh, account of the resurrection, Um, and I found so much comfort in a particular verse that I had never really chewed on before, (laughs) which is just, it's Luke 24, 39, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, Well, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. So Jesus is, is here with his disciples. He's, he's been resurrected. The Emmaus disciples come in and they're, they're telling all the others, Hey, we saw this Jesus, we were with him. And then suddenly Jesus appears into the room. It says in verse 36, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified and affrightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. I, I love that scene. I just, I just picture that moment. Jesus uh, appears in the midst of all of these apostles. He appears right in the room with them <laughs> as he has resurrected from the dead. And there's all these rumors swirling around of that, that Jesus's body is stolen and then uh, Jesus's body is missing. And, and the disciples, uh, the apostles are, are curious as to what's going on. And then suddenly Jesus appears in the middle of them and they, they're, they're, they're freaked out. They're scared out of their pants and they think that they're, they're seeing a ghost. They're seeing a spirit. And Jesus tenderly, patiently reminds them, no, no, this is my body resurrected for you. This is my body that I that has been raised from the dead on your behalf, substitution, sub, substitutionary death, excuse me, and substitutionary resurrection in his resurrected body. I love how he says it there in verse 39, handle me, see me, touch me. This is the glory of the resurrection. It's not a vision. It's not a ghost. It's not a hallucination. It's not a dream. It's not some sort of amorphous thing that people have just uh, now found to be uh, uh, legendary in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the person, the body of Jesus that has been raised from the dead. This is the, the mystery of the gospel. 
that Jesus died bodily and rose bodily. This is something, and another another article I wanted to bring to your attention. It's it's an article by Jared Wilson for the Gospel Coalition entitled "The Mystery Unfolding, Grasping," um, and he says this quote: "What is the mystery of godliness? What is the mystery of how God's glory is manifested and spread? It is not a mystery in the sense that your favorite true crime case is a mystery. This mystery is graspable." Because it itself comes near and grasps a body that serves and heals and teaches and dies and is brought back to life by the Spirit and returns to the angelic abode. A body that is proclaimed far and wide, a body that is believed upon, a body that ascended to God, to the God dimension, and where it sits presently at the Father's right hand. The mystery is that the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell in the fullness of humanity. End quote. I love, well, number one, I love how Jared writes, but also I love the fact that he talks about the mystery of the resurrection and its majesty and all of that that is there in the resurrection to the fact that there's this body that is there that Jesus has. It's the same body from the incarnation. It's the same body that rose from the dead in the resurrection. It's a body that's touchable, tangible, smellable. <laughs> Sometimes we... I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, sometimes I feel like we get this like ghostly, um, you know, angelic, you know, harps and clouds image of Jesus's resurrection body with all this glowing lights and stuff. He was sitting, eating, talking, fellowshipping with his with his friends. This is Jesus with a body with this is so mysterious and so majestic and so powerful. And again, it points to just the the certainty of the resurrection itself. Um, this is essentially what I was preaching on um, on Sunday morning uh, during my resurrection sermon, uh, which was entitled "He is He is Risen Indeed." I was taking First Corinthians fifteen as my text, you know, the infamous resurrection chapter, and my the whole premise of my sermon was just this, that if the resurrection is not true, then nothing matters. But if the resurrection is true, everything changes. Everything hinges upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He, he didn't wake up after he had swooned. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't a legend. It wasn't a conspiracy that the disciples had concocted to carry on Jesus' legend. It was the fact of the resurrection and the person of Jesus Christ evidenced by the people that he that saw him evidenced by the passion that this moment inspired and evidenced by the purpose that this this event fulfilled all because of Jesus the resurrection is absolutely vital to everything that we believe. It's the hinge of our faith. It's the, the I, I, I truly believe, especially after studying for weeks for this sermon, is just that this is the linchpin chapter of the Bible. All of Scripture is leading to this moment, the moment of the resurrection, when Jesus walks out of that tomb affirming the fact that he is God in the flesh, he has power over sin, death, darkness, he checkmates Satan with his resurrected step, 
It's the fact of the resurrection. I was so moved throughout this whole weekend by just being reminded that that this is true. As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that if this is not true, my preaching is vain, it's empty. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not written, risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain. Verse 17, and if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. This is what we've all been leading to, is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He is our resurrection life, resurrection power, our resurrection hope. This is the gospel. <laughs> this is why he be, Paul begins the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, by saying that this is the gospel that I first delivered unto you, how Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. This is what it's all been about. It's all been leading to this. All of the hope centers in this moment. As the king rises from his grave, because <laughs> the grave couldn't hold him, it wasn't powerful enough. <laughs> this is the scandal of the resurrection to steal a title from Tom Askell, which brings me to another article. Tom Askell, writing, in, writing for Founders Ministries, says this, quote, If Christ has not been literally raised from the dead, then there is no authentic Christianity, and believers are the biggest dupes in the world. Then the unbelievers are right, and there is no hope. But wonder of wonders, Christ is risen indeed. The evidence will allow no other verdict. His tomb is empty, and, the f and that fact of history calls everyone to bow before the risen Savior and worship him as Lord, end quote. The fact of the resurrection. It gives me such great hope and confidence and, and assurance both now and in the future. And I think this is exactly what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that all of this mystery and majesty, it all points to this moment and it gives us such settled peace. It gives us such, uh, it gives us such secure hope and it gives us such vibrant faith, all because Jesus resurrected from the dead. And this isn't, this isn't a secret conspiracy. This is a fact and you can believe it. You can stand on it. You can know that it is true. And you can know that, that that's why I love when he says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, where does he talk about it? He talks about it in verse 20. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death and by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. You see, this is what it's all been leading towards. 
showing us that there is a king who is whose whose kingdom is coming and is going to be manifest in this world and that that coming kingdom is unstoppable you can't do anything to hinder it you can't do anything to sort of further it along you can only witness to its truth and I love that this is so. The resurrection gives us boundless hope that the kingdom of God is still on target, is still uh, going according to plan, even when it doesn't look like it. Which brings me to the last article that I wanted to highlight, which is a resurrection reflection from David French over at the Dispatch. He writes in an article entitled, A Resurrection Faith Retains Its Power, But Not the Power We Crave. I really invite you to read the whole thing. It's so moving. What he does is he he highlights this this Gallup poll, which was recently released, which showed sort of a a downward uh, trajectory, a, a downward slope of of re- religious affiliation uh, from about you know 1940 to now, whereas in the 40s and 50s it was around 70 percent. Now it's below 50% have any religious affiliation. This, of course, is a very scary reality. This is a very uh, sort of uh, f- a thing that we ought to that that we ought to take notice at. But again, I think what is so moving is that the downward trajectory of religion isn't a reality to be feared or fretted over. It ought, as David French is going to articulate, it ought to remind us of the unexpectedness of the resurrection itself. <laughs> Listen to what he says, quote, this is David writing, quote, so many Christians fear a seemingly inevitable secular future. There's a deep anxiety for our children and grandchildren and real alarm that the church may face deepening isolation and perhaps even persecution. But that green line, the green line from the Gallup poll is what he's referring to, also reminds me of something else. It reminds me of Holy Week itself. Within days... Resistance leads to a plot, then to an arrest. After the arrest, the same people who roared their approval days before call for Jesus' life. Peter, his most militantly faithful follower, goes from defending Christ with his sword to emphatically and repeatedly denying him in his hours of greatest need. Ultimately, of course, Jesus is executed. It seemed Roman authorities had swatted aside yet another low-rent revolutionary, On Good Friday, Christ died, and so did that particular dream of an earthly king. To the extent that Jesus would remain relevant, perhaps some of his teachings would linger. A scattered few disciples could keep a tiny flame lit for a time, but his name would be lost forever. Easter, however, reminds us that death is a prelude to resurrection, to a very particular form of new life, a life designed to imitate the sacrifice that led to death. In the crucifixion story itself, we see a model for how we're supposed to respond, an example of a human example of, a, of the godly response to Christ's sacrifice. The resurrection is the response. It's the great news of the total reset of our expectations and the union with Christ in his true kingdom, end quote. I, I love what he says. Because just, I, I was thinking about this, and I was actually talking to my wife, Natalie, about this, that one of the the most fascinating things to reflect upon throughout, you know, Holy Week is to reflect upon the tragedy that seemingly existed in that moment. The moment of Jesus' death, 
all of the, the hopes and the dreams that the disciples and the followers of Jesus had up to that point were dashed, utterly destroyed. This is what we are made to see, even though perhaps, yes, they should have noticed. It's easy for us to say that. You know, all of the hints that Jesus gave them, the assurances that he said that, yes, he is going to die, but in three days he's going to rise again. They missed all of those hints. They missed all of those messages. And in the moment of Jesus' death, they thought everything was gone. They were going to be outed next. His closest followers were surely going to feel the wrath of Rome as this revolutionary teacher, as this sort of blasphemer was put to death in such a violent and public way. Surely they too were going to be outed next. They feared. They feared for their own lives. They missed what Jesus had promised. The darkness of Saturday ought to be felt. It's the weight of, of all of, all of their, all of their lives was in that moment. They couldn't understand what was going to come next. Because this is what is so glorious that Easter Sunday is so surprising after the events of Good Friday. It was something totally unexpected, solely something unsought for. And when it happens, everyone is stirred to, as David was writing, a a, a new life. (laughs) This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4, that they're resurrected to newness of life, knowing for certain that Jesus is alive. So all of these things are true, that his promises are sure, that the things that he has said will come about, will come about, that the things that he said that he would do, he has done or will do, that all of these things are true. It's bankable. You can rest assured that Christ's kingdom is coming about, which, again, gives us so much hope for this particular moment. You know, I've talked about, you know, and reflected on just how much skittishness perhaps there is around Jesus' kingdom with the scary secular world we're stepping into. And, and no, I don't mean to sensationalize our moment. I've talked about that too. We ought not to sensationalize our moment by thinking that this is the worst that it's ever been. Perhaps it is. Perhaps that's just us being really recent in our bias towards our moment. But I would say that regardless of the downward trend of religious affiliation, Easter Sunday is coming. Jesus is coming back. Resurrection power is certain. Ours is an Easter world. (laughs) There's no amount of darkness that can overcome Jesus' resurrection light. He He is the one who has conquered all death, all fear, all darkness, all sin. It's been put away. It's been left behind in his empty tomb, there to stay. And he gives his seal of approval on all the things that he is coming to do, that all the things that he has done and said, it is there for us in the resurrection. And we too can stand in confident hope, knowing that these things are true. We can know for certain and all that is ours to do now is announce the good news of this kingdom that's coming it's based on the resurrection. It's based on all of the things that we have come uh, to know about the gospel. It's, it's The resurrection confirms all of it. Again, the resurrection changes everything. It makes the good news so blindingly good. 
This is why I, I hope that we can keep the resurrection always in view. Because it's the only thing, the only news that people need to hear. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Ministry Minded Podcast. Uh, I hope that this episode has encouraged you. I hope that you have felt blessed by uh, the particular things that I was able to kind of talk about. Uh, And this one, just uh, about the resurrection, the articles that we shared, the Easter weekend. I had such a blessed time with so many of you. Um, But again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you aren't subscribed to the Ministry Minded Podcast, uh, please do that over on Apple Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Um, I I always appreciate your encouragement, your support, your notes of, of how this show is encouraging you. So keep those coming. Thank you so much. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.